Good evening, Elements. How's everybody doing tonight? Happy Independence Day. Awesome. Well, hey, my name is Gabe. I'm one of the elders here at Elements City Church. Uh, we're so excited that you guys have chosen to be with us tonight uh, to celebrate uh, what God is doing and uh, through this church. Uh, a few announcements we have uh, for you guys tonight. Um, after the service, we have uh, hamburgers and hot dogs. Um, we're going to celebrate Independence Day for our country. Um, and then also, we're actually celebrating Mark Bertram's birthday as well, Mark. Happy birthday, Mark. <laughs> a couple important events that, that we get to be a part of celebrating. So after the service, uh, come on back. We've got uh, hamburgers and hot dogs, and uh, we're just going to hang out, have a little bit of time before you guys uh, head off into uh, the fireworks realm and, and see what's out there tonight. So a couple reminders. We have a mobile app as Elements. Um, so check that out. We've got all of our events, uh, teaching, information. If you're new to our church, check that out. It's got a lot of uh, handy tips, ways to connect. Um, one of the things after the service, we've got a 10-minute party uh, in the back. And so after we're all done, uh, you can get a chance to connect with Lyle. Uh, Jack's actually on vacation, uh, hanging out, chilling in Kentucky. So we're, we're, uh, we're excited he's getting a chance to rest. Um, but after we're done, come on in the back. You can check in with Lyle and uh, just get a chance to know him and, and a little bit more about what Element City Church is about. Um, another way that you can connect here, and for those of you online, I should welcome as well. I'm sorry I forgot that. Um, but there is a number. So texting uh, 520-340-6868. That's another opportunity that you all have uh, to connect with our church here. So if you're some of our online guests uh, please dial that text up and uh, send it out. It'll be a chance for you to connect and get in more information about Elements as well. Uh, and we'll be able to follow up and, uh, and say hey during the week. So uh, another reminder, we've got our second Saturday food distribution um, next Saturday. Uh, so just a chance that we have to kind of gather together. We bless our community. These are prepackaged um, meals that we put together and are able to hand out to those in need. Um, so it's always a fun time, great time to be able to bless our community together. Uh, we would love to have you engage on that with us um, and, and just kind of see what God does in building a heart of generosity uh, within our group. So uh, if you guys have been with us for a while, you know we always do a Church of the Week. Um, this week we are not going to have a Church of the Week. Uh, so we're just going to pray for the church in general. Uh, being Independence Day, uh, we're so, so blessed uh, to be able to um, just live in a country that's free, uh, where we can worship God uh, without fear. And so we're going to kind of pray into that tonight um, alongside a number of the churches uh, here in Tucson. So uh, would you guys go ahead and stand up with me before we get into worship? I'm going to pray for us and open up, and then we'll sing. Dear Father, I thank you so much uh, for this, this church. I thank you so much for this group of believers and, and group of, of folks that are interested in being able to follow who you are in your son. God, we thank you for this country that we live in. And for all of the, the downfalls and difficulties that are so easy to see these days, um, we recognize that there is so much beauty here that you've blessed us with. And I wanna pray that each of us is grateful for that and that that does not go unnoticed. We are thankful to be able to praise and to worship you uh, here in this place tonight without fear. And for all of those who have, have suffered and, and given uh, a whole price to be able to uh, to establish uh, this nation. We are so thankful for that. Beyond that, we want to be a part of, of uh, bringing your king, kingdom to this community. 
So we pray these things in your name. Be here, be with us. You are worthy of our praise, and we love you. Amen.
Father God, we pray for that, that you would pour your spirit out in this place tonight in our hearts. Grow us, bring us closer to you in this place, Father.
It's not a one-time story. I need your grace every single day. But Lord, your mercies are new when I arise each morning. And man, I need it. Father, I pray for each of us tonight that we would rest in your grace, in your mercy, and the truth that we can run to the Father. But not only are we running to you, but man, you're coming to us. May we be reminded of that truth here tonight. And that no matter our doubts, no matter where we're at in this thing, we, we talk about following Jesus. We talk about being a Christian. No matter where we're at in that world, you're there and you're big enough and you just wanna be with us. So when I've fallen short this week, or we've fallen short this week, Father, we come before you. And by the blood of your son, Jesus, we are made clean. And man, we just get to spend time with the Father. And so that's what we want here tonight. We wanna to spend time with you. And we look forward to your voice speaking to us. We pray for Pastor Lyle that you would speak through him, that the words from his lips tonight would speak your truths to us that we may practice them and bring your love to a world that so desperately, desperately needs it, that sees so many imposters. We wanna bring truth. We wanna be genuine. Because God, I've got this spirit, this spirit within me, this spirit within us, that those who follow your son, man, we got a lot to share. So be here tonight. We love you. Move amongst us. We're looking forward to what you're going to teach us here in this place. We love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Amen. Well, just as we begin, I think it's important to recognize that it is July 4th, that it is America's birthday. It's not only Mark Bertram's birthday. Happy birthday, Mark. It's America's birthday. And uh, it's important to acknowledge that uh, we live in one of the freest societies that's ever been created, that we aren't perfect, but this little experiment that started as a seed uh, has sprouted, and along the way, we've seen the mistakes and we've sought to correct them, and I think as a culture, we're continuing to try to do that. And uh, there are a few countries in the world where you can see that type of change work its way through the system in a positive way. And so we celebrate our country. We celebrate the fact that we live in a place where we do have the freedom to gather tonight and to worship this way. So uh, happy birthday, America. It was pretty cool this morning. I was uh, here for Emmanuel uh, preaching. Uh, it was the same message, and they 
they had the color guard come in. Uh, they did the Star Spangled Banner. And uh, s- someone who grew up in a Southern Baptist church, it definitely took me back to the roots. Uh, and it was pretty fun. So Dorothea put that together uh, in the back. And uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was really cool. So that's that. Uh, we're getting into a new sermon series tonight. Jack's away. He's on vacation uh, with his family. They made it to Louisville, Kentucky uh, to spend time with Amy's uh, sister uh, who lives out there. So we just wish them all the best. Hope that they're able to uh, rest, relax, and have a great time with friends, with family, uh, celebrating. Uh, so you're stuck with me for the month, folks. Uh, I apologize in advance if that's going to be a problem. Uh, we'll work through it, I promise. I think it'll be okay. Uh, but we're diving into a new series tonight. It's called Sovereignty in Uncertainty. And just to start out, we need to take a poll. There is something that has plagued theologians, scholars alike, for, for decades, nay, centuries. And the question is this, how do we pronounce the name of this book that's in the Bible? How many of you are just like, I don't even know that that's a book in the Bible. Just be honest, a couple hands, that's good. How many of you say it, the book of Habakkuk? How many Habakkuk fans do we have in here? All right, does that mean the rest of you are uh, Habakkuk speakers? Oh man, there's more Habakkuk speakers in here than there were this morning. I'm sorry to, to burst your bubble. We're calling it Habakkuk this whole time. And my hope is that by the end of this month, you will be saying Habakkuk with the rest of us instead of holding on to your sinful ways of saying Habakkuk. So uh, we'll pray for you. We'll get there. It's a joke. Uh, I'm kidding. Uh, we don't know how it's pronounced. I assume it's Habakkuk because that's how I was raised. Most of you were probably raised Habakkuk. Uh, it's neither here nor there. But uh, we all know I love context. Context is really important. So since we're going to be going through a book, uh, I think it's really important that we take time tonight to get the good uh, background information. And here's why. Here's what I know about most people in this culture today. Most of us have an overly devotional sense of reading scripture. And here's what I mean by that. Not all doctrine, not all things in scripture are prescriptive. Sometimes they're descriptive and they're telling us here's what to do, here's what not to do. Uh, And so when it's telling us what to do, that's prescriptive. But when we get this overly devotional sense of reading scripture, there's things that can be confusing that we're like, God, that seems really weird. What do I do with that? And if you're that type of person, this is, uh, tonight is the message for you. Because really the title of tonight's message is, how does God deal with doubt? More specifically, what does God do with my doubt? Is that okay? Like, can I even bring that sort of doubt? And what's cool about the book of Habakkuk, this uh, book is uh, written by a prophet, his name is Habakkuk. That was your opportunity to say Habakkuk, the rest of you. You missed it. Next time. Next time it'll be there. So, uh, yes, so we've got the prophet Habakkuk. And what we uh, kind of assume is that he was probably a Levitical priest. And the reason being is uh, the book is written kind of with some, uh, what's the word? Sometimes they don't come out right. It was written with a sense of uh, lament. That was the word, lament. <laughs> right there. It wasn't coming out. That's how it goes. So he's, he's trying to uh, you know, lament to God what's going on and, and, and question why things are going the way that they're going. But then in his responses, you see uh, some poetry. And we see some psalms. In fact, in the book of Psalms, there's that word Selah that shows up. Uh, we've even got a couple here whose daughter gave. His daughter's name is Selah. Uh, so we see that in the Psalms throughout. Uh, there's only one other book in Scripture that has the word Selah in it. It's the book of Habakkuk, actually. And that's in chapter 3, that when, when God responds to Habakkuk, he writes this song uh, of praise, worshiping God, and he includes that word uh, Selah. So we think that he was probably a temple priest. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, we're going to get a lot of context tonight. So we'll just put up the slide now. 
Some of you have come to expect it. You come to love the five-minute nerd out. Again, I love context. It's really nerdy stuff. So let's just put our nerd hats on because uh, we're going to nerd out. It's probably going to be a little longer than five minutes tonight. I apologize for those of you who are super bored by this stuff, but I promise there's a payoff. It helps. And because uh, we don't want to just have an overly devotional sense of reading the Bible, we want to understand the Bible and draw application from the things that we're learning. And so if we get this context, it's going to help us do that. So again, Habakkuk, temple priest, uh, he probably... We don't know exactly his time frame of when he lived. But for today's five-minute nerd out, I want to talk about the nation of Israel. We have the 12 tribes of Judah that you've probably heard of, the 12 tribes of Israel. There was the sons of Israel. Uh, And so there's all these different names of his sons. Uh, And basically when King Saul and King David came about, these kingdoms were united. All 12 tribes were united And they stayed united when his son Solomon reigned. But once Solomon died, uh, there was some infighting. And so the kingdoms actually split. So you had the ten northern tribes. That became known as Israel. So you had the ten tribes of Israel. And then you had the two southern tribes, which they called Judah. And so if you read the book of 1 and 2 Kings, or if you look at the book of uh, 1 and 2 Chronicles, you can see all this history. It's there. There are 19 kings that ruled in Israel once uh, King Solomon had died. 19 kings. Anyone want to take a gander here just by, you can yell out your guess. How many good kings, godly kings reigned in Israel? 40, yes. <laughs> That's a different question, but uh, yeah, I love that. That's such a nerdy reference. See, this is the five minute nerd out right there. Zero good kings in Israel. For those of you who said zero, pat yourselves on the back. That was right. Not a single king did right in the sight of God. Now we've got the southern tribes, Judah. They had 20 kings in their time. How many good kings do you think there were? Man, six. She was like right on it. It's on the screen. Did they go to the next slide? Did they show it? She, oh, yes, perfect. The notes, the notes. Well played, well played. That's right. And for those of you who didn't know, you can follow the sermon notes just like Laura here. So six godly kings that ruled in Judah. And so if you know the history of the tribes, the Israelites were actually conquered first. They went into exile first. And this makes sense. They didn't have a single godly king. God had to bring his punishment about. And so with the southern tribes, with the, uh, the tribes in Judah, the two, uh, they had about 100 years longer before they had to go into exile. And so the context of the book of Habakkuk is this. You've got Habakkuk who was a temple priest, and the last good godly king in Judah was King Josiah. King Josiah was born in about 648 B.C. In 640 B.C., he became king. What were you doing when you were eight years old? Probably not ruling a country, right? Like, that's just not anything that was on your radar, and yet that was this this kid's destiny. That's what he had to do. And so they're renovating the temple. They're cleaning out the temple because they had all these bad kings who were using the temple in awful ways where they were doing these cult sex practices. They had these images set up to idols. Uh, they were literally looting the temple and giving it away uh, to people who were invading Israel to try to keep them at bay. And so Josiah, as they're cleaning out the temple, has brought this book of the law. And as he starts to read it, he realizes we haven't been doing this. No wonder as a country we aren't receiving God's blessing. And so he points the country back the direction it was meant to go. And so he was the last godly king because he was the last king that really challenged the people of Judah to continue to follow God's scripture. 
And so he reigned from 640 B.C. until 609 B.C. when he died in battle. And he actually died in battle as he was riding uh, to cut off the Egyptians. The Egyptians were trying to ride up to meet up with the Assyrians because the Babylonians were coming. And that's who we see here, the Chaldeans. That's the Babylonians. They're coming and they're about to wreck shop. This is an army that's to be feared, and we're going to get more into that in a future five-minute nerd out uh, in a couple weeks. But ultimately, uh, as Josiah was trying to cut off the Egyptians, he died in battle. And so you've got this priest, Habakkuk, who saw what it was like to be a part of a godly society, who was part of a culture where God was placed first, where they honored him with everything they did, and he watched what happened as God poured out his blessing on the nation. And as soon as Josiah dies, Jehoiakim takes over, And he just goes right back to to all of the pagan practices. He brings the idols back in. He does all these evil things. And so you've got this priest who's questioning, God, why would you allow this to happen? Why would you let people uh, who claim to know you all of a sudden start to follow all these different things and do all these evil practices? And so that's the context for the book of Habakkuk. That's the background. That's the setting here. Uh, with all of this. And what's interesting about Habakkuk is it's a little different than other prophets because uh, rather than seeing a prophet who gets this message from God and takes it to the people, we're just looking at a conversation that's between a prophet and God. And we get to see his heart, his honest questions, his honest doubts that he's dealing with as he asks God and then we see God's gracious reply in that. So, Uh, If you've got your Bibles with me, if you've got the sermon notes with you as well, we're going to be in Habakkuk, starting in chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to read through verse 4, and it says this. It says, uh, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? I cry to you violence, and you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong?" Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Those are honest questions that he has here of God, where are you? How many of you have felt that at some point in your life? How many of you have been in those places of doubt where it seems like God is silent? It seems like God is distant. He's not near and you don't understand why. You know that you've done everything the best, to the best of your abilities with integrity. You've sought to honor him. And yet it seems like evil and wicked people flourish and they get what they need. And all the while, what happens for you? Nothing. It just continues uh, to be silent and God continues to be distant. This is Habakkuk here. That's why some people kind of call him the emo prophet where he's just kind of like waiting with his comb over like, God, why is this happening? Uh, and what's not there is that he would listen to his My Chemical Romance CD, but... While he's waiting, sorry, that's neither here nor there. So a couple of things that I see uh, that I want to draw out from the text here. So Habakkuk is, is really, he's pouring out his heart to God. And that's number one, God can handle my doubts. So in the title of the sermon, what does God do with my doubt? We, spoiler, we're going to answer it right away. God can handle your doubts. If you've got doubts in your heart and you've got questions, that's fine. God's not offended by that. God's not put off by that. God's not scared of that. In fact, God invites those questions because he stands ready to answer them. He may not always answer them in the time that we want, but he stands ready to answer them. I love this quote here. It's from J. Sidlow Baxter, and it says this, uh, Habakkuk told his honest doubt to God and not to any mere human brain trust. If we would only do that, instead of sighing abroad our doubts on human ears, 
what unrest we would escape. So that's kind of the sub point. If you have to gripe, gripe to God. God can handle our doubts. He can handle our complaints. And when we've got problems and we don't know the answers or the solutions to those things, who better to take them to than the Lord? And yet how often in the name of processing do we go to this person over here and make our feelings known about the situation? And then we go over to this person that's over here, and it's the same thing. We're processing our feelings. We're just having to talk it out. And all the while, all we're doing is we're just spewing out this this negativity, this hurt. And what's that doing for other people? And how often do you find yourself doing that when the people that you're processing with aren't even necessarily the people who can do anything about it? I know that's something that was easy for me to do in past jobs. When I worked at Apple, it was so easy to just be frustrated about something. You'd talk to your coworkers, and you'd never once talk to the manager who could actually do something about it. God's the manager, folks. When you've got complaints, when you've got worries, bring them to the Lord. Bring them to the throne. If you've got a gripe, gripe to God. He can handle it. He's big enough to handle it. I remember a time in my life, too, um, just a more serious time when I was 18. I was getting ready to go to college, and some of you have heard this before, but I found out a month before leaving for college that my dad was diagnosed with stage four esophageal cancer. And, man, I'm, I'm going to get choked up because I'm just realizing the anniversary of that's coming up in about a month. It's going to be 18 years since my dad passed away. He was a godly man, wonderful man. And so we find out this news uh, and it's, I mean, it's literally around this, the time of this year that we found that out. It was in July. I remember that, the early parts of July. And so I'm 18, and I'm hearing from a doctor that I'm, I'm lucky if I'm going to get to see my dad for five more years. And so that night, I got home. I'm in my bedroom. I just kind of turned the lights off, and I get down on my knees, and I'm praying at my bed, and I'm just letting God have it. I mean, we're talking four-letter words, just lots of uh, colorful language that really I shouldn't have been using, uh, but I didn't care. And I finished that conversation with middle fingers, and I just said, I've served you my whole life. I've been in the church my whole life, um, and this is what I get. I'm getting ready to go to college. I'm trying to figure out what it means to be an adult, to be a man, and you're taking the person that's supposed to teach me all that stuff. What kind of God are you that you would do that? Did you even see me? Did you even care all the stuff that I've done for you, for your kingdom? And I stormed out of the room. And that was it. I just in my heart, I was kind of like, I don't know that I believe this anymore. I think I might be done. And I tell you what, over the next three days, there were three instances, and I was never driving in any of these situations, but I'm in the passenger seat of a car. And I'm not kidding when I say that I looked out the passenger window, and there's literally a hood ornament. Screeching tires, everything, and there's a hood ornament that I can like physically make out, and if I wanted, I could even just roll the window down and touch it. Like, Pretty close, three times, right? So after the third one, I kind of wised up and I went back to the same spot in my bedroom, lights off, get down on my knees. All right, God, you're still there. Okay, I get it, I get it. It humbled me, it broke me. But God responded to my doubts and he was patient with me. He was kind to me. He didn't appreciate, I'm sure, the things that I had said. And yet he was big enough to, A, to handle it, but B, he was big enough to do something about it. And that was a moment that I'll never forget in my life, that prayer that I sat uh, at my bed, that I delivered to God, that you're real, I know you're there, and I know you still see me, 
And I don't know what these next couple years are going to hold, but I'm going to trust you. And so that's kind of the second point here. In the midst of doubt, we need to focus on God's character. See, his character doesn't change just because my circumstances do. And yet so often we get that in our mindset. That just because this thing isn't going right, that must mean that God is like this. That was my mindset. And God showed me, nope, that's not who I am. He reminded me who he was. And so these are just simple questions. When you get to the point that doubts start to creep in, if you've got questions for God, here's the best place to start. You ask yourself these questions. One, is he trustworthy? Where in the past have I seen God be trustworthy before? Remind yourself of that. Preach that to yourself. Ask yourself, is God faithful? How have I seen his faithfulness on display in past times? Is he loving? How have I experienced his love before? We need these things to remind us of the character of God. And we need to make sure that we're putting his character first and foremost. It's okay to ask questions, but it's not okay to question the character of God. He's made it clear who he is. He's shown us that in his word, in scripture. It's there for a reason. And so the first time God really self-identifies, Exodus 34, verses six through seven, he says this. It says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. That's beautiful that we get to remember that we have a God who's merciful and gracious, that he can receive our doubt, not be offended by our doubt, but as we bring that to him honestly, he can answer that. He's slow to anger. Uh, Sometimes you see that as as patient. Uh, Other times you'll see long-suffering. He's abounding in steadfast love. We have to remind ourselves, this is the God that we serve. This is the God who loves us. This is the God who stands ready to receive whatever questions, whatever things that we have, we can give them to him. 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13 says this. It says, this saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. God is faithful. He has shown himself to be so faithful time and time again in my life. That was something that I experienced when I watched God spare me from getting T-boned three times, literally in three days. By the way, that girlfriend at the time who was driving was not the best driver. She self-admitted that too. So um, God bless her. She's a wonderful person. Anywho, uh, how many people have we seen walked away from the faith though these days simply because they couldn't remember the character of God? They couldn't remember the God that they're serving. I don't know if you're aware, there's a movement uh, that people call deconstruction. And it's just, it's a very cynical kind of negative viewpoint that they've seen the church hurt people. They've seen people in the church not uh, live and behave the way that God calls them to live. And so they start this process of deconstructing where they basically take every assumption about anything and they just throw it away. And then they basically start to rebuild their own faith. This is plaguing, plaguing Millennials and Gen Zers, I just want you to know that. I want you to be aware of that. It's a terrible thing. And they start with these assumptions uh, that nothing can be assumed. And so they throw out the character of God. They throw out the holiness of God. They don't care about that. And they rebuild basically this false religion that uh, 
many people call secular humanism. If you want to avoid falling into that trap, when doubt comes, the first thing we have to do is remember the character of God. We as a church, we're not perfect, are we? Hold your hand up if you've never made a mistake in how you've shared the gospel or, you know, right? There's not a single person in here who'd be willing to hold there and be, yeah, no, I took every opportunity to share Christ. Yeah, totally. I help the homeless all the time. I do all that stuff. Nobody has done that. Nobody's ever been able to do that. Save the God-man himself, Jesus Christ. We've all failed. That's just the reality. We have to own that. We can do better, but we'll do better by starting to remember who God is first and foremost and, and moving on from there. Bringing our doubts to God really is only a comforting thing, and the ability to do that is really only a comforting thing when we realize that he's the one who can handle it. And if we're willing to throw out his character and throw out who he is, man, that's a dark place to be, isn't it? To have no hope, to have no answer for those questions. I know I don't want to be there. And then uh, thirdly, this is kind of the thing that I see, so God can handle our doubts Number one, two, uh, two was what was that? In the midst of doubt, we focus on God's character. Three is this, honest controversy creates lasting union. I'll say it again. Honest controversy creates lasting union. What do I mean by that? What I mean is if we can bring our doubts to God with an honest desire to see him answer them, God uh, rewards us with deeper intimacy with him. And there's really, follow the line of logic here. Ultimately, what we're doing when we bring our doubts to God, we're saying, God, you're the only one who's able to do anything about this. There's a recognition there that God is capable and worthy and, and the only person that we should go to with these things, right? And so because we've made this declaration, what we're really doing is we're showing God our commitment to him, our commitment to his character. And with greater commitment comes greater intimacy, We've seen that with the disciples in scripture. Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am, right? He kind of sets them up. Who does everyone say I am? But who do you say that I am? And then Peter's the one who responds, you're Christ, you're the son of God. And Jesus says, that's right. And if you look in scripture, what happens after that? That's when the disciples start to get to learn more and more about the heart of Jesus. And the word even tells us that as they went about with Jesus, that Jesus began to explain to them things that he wouldn't tell anybody else. And so they got to see something in Christ that other people never got to see. With deeper commitment comes greater intimacy. And what I mean by honest controversy creates lasting union. If we can remember this, you know this is true, right? Like you know this is true from your relationships. If you've ever had friction with another person, when you work through that, it gets better. And, and there's more trust that's built on the backside of that. There's a guy that I used to work with at Apple, uh, Dom. I love Dom. Dom was awesome, man. This guy went to UCLA in the 1970s. Uh, he used to tell me about how he would go do his homework watching John Wooden uh, leading basketball practices. I see a couple sports aficionados nodding their heads like, yeah, that's pretty cool. And so just he loved to sit there courtside and just kind of listen to the wisdom that John Wooden would share with his players. Uh, well, Dom 
Dom got frustrated with me one day, uh, and like really frustrated too. And that, so I was in the middle of training and he was kind of training me. And there's one thing that he was really wanting me to like focus on. He's like, yeah, let's go out and let's do this thing because I want to work with you on this. And uh, I'm over here in the other spot, like just like, but I'm trying to understand this and I want to make sure I get that. And it was just like literally hours of me just like trying to figure out the repairs, right? Because I was pretty comfortable with customers. I wasn't comfortable with like getting into machines and fixing machines. That's kind of what I did there. So uh, finally, I can just sense this tension in Dom. I was like, hey, bro, what's up, man? Like, you're really mad. What's going on? And he's like, yeah, I'm frustrated with you, dude. Like, why are you, sh- like, you're avoiding me. Like, you don't want to go do this stuff. And, and so I kind of explained, well, you know, I, I feel comfortable with that. And I'm excited to do that because I know that I can work next to you and I can see this happen with other customers. Like, I'm not going to get this time over here. Uh, and once he heard my heart, it was pretty funny because you just, you could see that as I explained all of that, he just kind of softened. And he's like, all right, that makes sense. You know, and what was cool about that moment was we learned that we could get frustrated with each other. Like he could be frustrated and mad at me and he could just tell me what he was thinking. And I wasn't going to get mad. I wasn't going to get offended. I could just answer back. And, And our relationship was stronger from that point forward. We knew we could trust each other. And we butted heads quite often. That guy was smart. He knew so much stuff that I had never even learned in my life. And yet, like, there are things that sometimes I had good insight to. And we worked together so well because we would butt heads. And then we would come out on the other side of that realizing, oh, man, I'm better because of my friendship with this guy. I've learned more things because of uh, my friendship with Dom. I love that guy. Maybe some of you have had that in a relationship where you've had that tension between husband and wife that builds up, and as you fought through that, as you worked through that, what did you learn? You learned that you could trust each other. Honest controversy creates a lasting union. The key word there is honest, and really we could substitute the word honest for humility. Like if you can go into an argument or anything with humility, that's when, uh, that's when you're actually able to deal with the issue at hand. Right, I, I joked about the toilet paper roll, Andrea, right? She's nodding, we're, we're there. It's a waterfall, folks, it's a waterfall, right? Like it always should be put on like a waterfall. I'm dug in on that position. There is no honest controversy with that with me, right? This is a stupid example, I know it is, but go with me. With that, uh, there, because I'm dug into my position, we're not gonna get anywhere if we have a conversation about that. Like, if you are kind of a pull under person, that's fine. Maybe you don't even care about it. That's fine. Like, you may not even take a position. But if you try to argue that with me, it's a waterfall. Like, all day long, you know? It's all day long. Just that's how it is. We're never gonna get anywhere. And yet, how often do we find ourselves uh, in this modern culture where we're just dug in on a position where we're more cared, concerned about being right than we are about being compassionate and loving. If we're being honest, it's really easy to go into most situations lacking that honesty and lacking that humility. And yet that's the heart that God wants us to have. He wants us to always have this tender heart that's ready uh, just to to be challenged. Because God sometimes is gonna challenge us and when we allow him to challenge us, that's when we get to grow. And that's what we see with Habakkuk. We see this uh, starting in verse 5. The Lord responds. Habakkuk's prayed his prayer. He's given his emo kind of thing, and he's waiting. It's going to get super emo in chapter 2. Just wait. Uh, That's where it it really, like, comes out. So uh, the Lord responds to Habakkuk's questions, and he says this. He says, look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. 
For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose might, whose own might is their God. If you catch that, right, God starts it and he says, wonder and be astounded, for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. How many times have someone said, man, it's too good to be true. God's saying, this is too bad to be true. It's too bad to be true. You would not believe what I'm about to do. I have seen the iniquity of my people. I've seen that they've done wrong. And guess what? I'm raising up an army and they're coming and they're gonna bring that uh, justice that you're praying for, Habakkuk. And we'll see uh, next week too, just kind of Habakkuk's response to that. He's shook. Just be honest, he's shook. Spoiler alert, you would be too, right? But what we see here is this. Uh, God is sovereign over history. God is sovereign over history. What does that word mean, sovereign? You probably hear it all the time. Uh, You've heard it multiple times. It's in the title of the sermon series, right? Sovereignty and uncertainty. It's basically this. If we could define sovereignty, it's that God is all-powerful and he's able to do anything that he wants according to his holy will. And that's an important modifier. That's according to God's holy will. In God's sovereignty and his ability to do anything, there's things that he can't do. God can't sin. It's impossible. It's against his character. God can't be unfaithful. We read that in scripture. There are certain things that God cannot do that would go against his holiness and his divinity. And so when we say that God is able to do anything he wants according to his holy will, we're giving that space to make sure that we understand that if there's something that God wants to be done that doesn't go against his character, he can do it. And so in this, God is saying, verse six, for behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. And that's probably where like the record scratch, you know, and Habakkuk's like, hold up, what? This evil nation, again, we're going to talk more about that next week, but Habakkuk's just like, man, what, what is going on? Why would God do this? And yet, here it is, these free will decisions that these Chaldeans are making as an army to just go and conquer. I mean, they were entrenched in battle with Assyria, with Egypt, and these guys, they were vicious. We'll get to that in a future five-minute nerd out as well. But the, the reality is, this was not good news to Habakkuk. Uh, And I love this quote from Dr. Constable. He said this in his commentary. He said, God may seem to be strangely silent and inactive in provocative circumstances. He sometimes gives unexpected answers to our prayers. And he sometimes uses strange instruments to correct his people. If God's people refuse to fear him, they will ultimately be compelled to fear those less worthy of fear. That's crazy. Such a good insight right there that we can remember this that God is sovereign and we remember his character we remember God is in control over all things that yeah difficulty hardship suffering it's about to come to Habakkuk he knows this this book was written probably about 605 BC if you remember that timeline it's probably about 605 is what people think and uh, if you know about the history the Judeans fall they're conquered finally in 586 this book is a warning 
This is Habakkuk understanding this is what's about to take place. And he's seeing that this is what happened to the nation of, Israel, uh, of uh, these two tribes in Judah, that God's people stopped fearing him. And it was time to fear something that was less worthy of their fear in the Chaldeans. If they had placed their hope and their trust in God, what would God have done? He would have spared them. He would have delivered them. That's right. And yet they were so evil and they were so off the rails that this is what God had to do. And so that may be confusing. You know, that may be difficult for some people to deal with where it's like, man, why does God do these things? Like, why does he allow difficult things to happen like that? And yet if you look at how this book ends, we're going to jump to the end. Don't worry, we'll really get there too uh, in a couple weeks. But I love these last verses in Habakkuk. Uh, Habakkuk is in fear of what God's doing. But he says this in verse 16. He says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound and rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. That's faith, folks. That's the type of attitude that we want to have, that when the doubts start to creep in, when suffering and hardship, when difficulty is about to come, we can still look to God and see that he is good, and we can still see that he is our joy. He is our strength. He's what allows us to enjoy this life. We'll talk more about that the last week of what that looks like, this idea of uh, his, our feet being like the deers treading on the high places. It's a beautiful picture, church. It's beautiful. And so here's Habakkuk. He's remembering the character of God. He's remembering God's sovereignty and it's resulting in worship. And if you've seen this in the Psalms, the Psalms of Lament, how do they end? They end with worship. When we remember that God is sovereign, it enables us to bring our worship to him, to praise him the way that he desires to be praised, the way that he should be praised, really. And this is the best example of, you know, when these free will decisions are spinning out of control, that God is still in control. When we look to the cross and we see what Jesus did, the free will decisions of man were spinning out of control. The son of God was arrested, he was condemned falsely, and he was put up on a cross, and yet the Bible says he went willingly for the joy set before him. God was in control the whole time. He could have called down the angels. He could have done whatever he wanted to get out of that situation. He chose not to. He endured the cross for our sake. And that kind of, this last point, it's just short because, again, we'll, we'll, we'll really dive into it next week. But we just got to remember this. God does not overlook evil. He just deals with it in his own time. He even says, verse 11, then they sweep by like the wind and go on. The Babylonians, he calls them guilty men whose own might is their God. And so here's this whole section, right? Verses five through 11, it seems like he's talking up how bad the Babylonians are. Like he's really driving home the point like, yeah, people are afraid of these people. Like you shouldn't be uh, feeling all good about what's about to happen because this is gonna be tough. And yet God still throws the bone there to Habakkuk to remind him. Hey, these are still guilty men. These are still people who are worshiping themselves and I will deal with them. We'll see his response about that next week too. 
And so I love this quote just as we kind of wrap up. J. Vernon McGee said this. Because it's easy to doubt God. It's easy to be like, man, why do these, these things happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? J. Vernon McGee said, today the world asks, why doesn't God do something about sin? My friend, God has done something about it. Over 1,900 years ago, he gave his son to die. He intruded into the affairs of the world, and he says that he's going to intrude again in the affairs of the world. That's beautiful. We need to remember that. God's sovereign over history. He's sovereign over everything. He's in control. And so, yeah, God can handle my doubt. I can remember the character of God when I am doubting because that honest controversy is going to create lasting union with God. That's what we all want, isn't it? That's where we want to be. And so let's just remember this as we wrap it up, that God doesn't overlook evil. He's already dealt with the problem of evil by sending his son, Jesus. And so if you've never received Jesus as your own personal Lord and Savior, tonight's the night to do it, I'm telling you. You can take those doubts, any questions that you may have had about God, you can lay them before him, and he's big enough to handle them. And he stands ready uh, to answer those questions. And it may not happen at the pace that you like, but I promise you, he's going to deliver. That's who my God is. That's how I've seen him work. For those of us who already know Christ, we get to cling to that as the hope that drives us forward. Because we are going to be squeezed by life, will we not? We're going to face hardships. We're going to face difficulties. And yet, remembering that God is sovereign over all of it, man, that's news to our our ears. So let's bow our heads as we uh, finish up here. God, we just want to thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for the work uh, that you're doing here at Element City Church. And uh, I just thank you uh, for this next month, what you're going to show us in this book of Habakkuk. I pray tonight, Lord, that any person who's here that's dealing with doubt, that has uh, any questions for you, God, maybe it's been years that they've asked you a question. And just like Habakkuk, they felt like you've been silent. God, would they just have the courage to ask again? Would they remember who you are as they ask uh, so that they're not uh, doubting who you are? They're just unsure of your will. They're unsure of what you're doing. God, would you speak into the midst of that void in their life? And would you show yourself to be faithful to them once again? For those of us uh, who maybe aren't struggling with doubts tonight, Lord, would you just take one uh, little blurb from tonight, one simple point, would you allow that to write itself in our hearts throughout this week? Something that we can ruminate over and really question and really think about of what it looks like to live this out. We wanna be people uh, who are becoming more like your son, Jesus. We wanna be effective disciples. And so when we come to your word, God, we come to it expecting that uh, you wanna change us through it. And so rather than just having, kind of as I said, that overly devotional sense of reading your word, would we be able to read your word and draw out truth in such a way that allows us uh, to be the followers of Christ that you've called us to be? And for those uh, who've never come to know you, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, maybe just pray this with me. Just pray to receive the Lord into your heart tonight. Say, dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've tried to live this life on my own. I've tried to do it on my own and it continues to fail. And so I lay it all down. I recognize that I need you to come into my heart so Jesus, would you be the Lord 
of my life. Would you be my savior? Thank you for forgiving me for all my sins. And so I place my hope and my trust in you and I commit myself to following after you. And if you just prayed that prayer, we wanna talk to you tonight. Uh, We'll be back, uh, I'll be back at that 10 minute party table uh, after service is done. And I'd love to hear your story. I'd love to connect with you and figure out some next steps. Um, But God, would you just continue to move in worship? Would you continue to speak in this time as we respond to your word now? We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name.
that's our commitment to you, that we're going to rest in you tonight. We praise you, we worship you, we thank you that you are bigger than we ever thought that you, you were. And I love that your word says that to him who's able to do far more than we could ever ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church forever and ever. And so we come to you worshiping you knowing, God, that just because we haven't seen you do it doesn't mean that you can't. That there's things that are far beyond our imagination that you want to do, that we're going to see you do in our lifetimes. And we just pray that we get to see those things, God. That we get to be a part of that so that this world can come to know you, Jesus. They need you. And so as we come to you with our questions and our doubts, with all those things, God, would you uh, give us an answer? Because the reality is, that's a question that someone else is going to ask at some point. 
And when you answer it to us, you're just equipping us uh, to go be a light who can maybe illuminate someone else's darkness in the future. So thank you, Lord, for the work that you're doing tonight. We just ask uh, that it would continue uh, as we step out of this place and that we uh, go out to live this out, God, that we would live it out under your favor, under your blessing, with you just front and center, Jesus, with you front and center. We love you. We trust you. It's in your name we pray. Everyone said amen. Amen. So a couple of things before uh, you go tonight. Uh, we do giving around here a little bit differently. And so this is the first year, uh, first week of our fiscal year. Uh, we're excited for what God wants to do. And we, we've got some things set aside in the budget uh, so that we can do some real ministry. So we've got the boxes in the back. They're the kind of the metal boxes that are outside the doors. If you want to give that way, you can. Most people give through the app uh, online and they set it up that way. So uh, for those of you who do partner with us financially, thank you. Thank you so much uh, for trusting us and for wanting to be a part of the work that God's doing uh, in Element City Church. So uh, that's the first thing. Uh, we're also, like I said, I'll be at the 10-minute party in the back uh, for 10 minutes. See, that's how that works. That's why it's a 10-minute party. Uh, so I'll be back there. Uh, if you're new, uh, come on back there. We'd love to get you uh, to fill out that connection card. We've got uh, also the best kettle corn south of the Grand Canyon. I believe that's what, this side of the Grand Canyon. Sorry, got to get the words right. So we've got a free gift for you. That's that kettle corn. We'd love to to have that uh, or share that with you. Uh, after church is done, we're going to head right over here into the uh, building behind us where we were for the ice cream social a couple weeks ago. So downstairs, uh, we're going to be grilling some hot dogs. Not downstairs. That would be unsafe. We're grilling the hot dogs outside, and then we're going to bring them downstairs. But we bought 168 hot dogs, and I don't see 168 people in this room. So even if all of you stay, that's like three hot dogs a person. Like, let's go for it. It's not 76 like Joey Chestnut ate, but hey. It's a start. So we'd love for you to gather with us. Uh, we've got that going on uh, down there. So if you need something to do until you go look at fireworks, you can do that uh, as well. Uh, and then the last thing is we've got Elements t-shirts. Matt designed these shirts. They're pretty sweet looking. So uh, we're taking pre-orders for those shirts. I believe the design, yeah, it's a black shirt, but it's got that kind of as a, a pocket, or not pocket, but as like a thing over the, your chest there. So uh, pre-orders, they're $10. I've been asked that before, $10 for the shirt. Uh, we're gonna put that order in at the end of the month and it's going to be about, I think they said four to six weeks to get the shirts in. So by early September, if you want to be rocking that new Elements shirt, you can, right? That's right. Hashtag swag indeed. So let's not forget Mark Bertram's birthday. Make sure that you tell him happy birthday. Uh, we also, Karen and David Donderwitz, if you know them, Karen's part of our board. They had their baby, 1 a.m. So sweet little Andrew, I believe was born at 1 a.m. He was the first baby born in Tucson on the 4th of July. So how about that? That's cool. Uh, but just in the, the highs and lows of life, uh, pastor at the church that I grew up in passed away last night. And he used to end every service this way. He'd say this, isn't Jesus wonderful? Isn't Jesus wonderful? And so I just... I want to ask that question. Let's remember that. How good is Jesus? How good is he that we get to worship him and celebrate him? So thanks for being here tonight. We look forward to uh, joining uh, with you again next week. We'll be here same time, same place. If you want to tune in online, we'll be there as well. Uh, but you be blessed. You'll have a great week. We look forward to eating some hot dogs with you.